Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I didn't have a strength coach when I was in high school growing up. You know, I enjoyed my high school experience, but I'm always trying to, and this is the idea that I put in my head, and I ask our staff to do this as well, is be the coach that you wish you had growing up. In the world of strength and conditioning for football athletes, the emphasis has shifted towards a holistic approach that goes beyond traditional weight room workouts. We're excited to have Scott Leach, the strength and conditioning coach at the University of Rhode Island, join us today to share an approach for a well-rounded training program that includes fieldwork, competitive drills, and prep for contact that fully prepares players for the demands of the game. You'll find that his approach is fun for the players, gets them coming back, and also helps you build your program in the offseason. By focusing on building strength, agility, and specific football-related skills, we can better equip our athletes for success under the Friday night lights and Saturday afternoons. Be sure to stay tuned for our Winning Edge takeaways and ideas for implementation. Here's our interview with Scott Leach, strength and conditioning coach, University of Rhode Island. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast, or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way 
to customize the ideal fundraiser with options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops. Vertical Rays has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalrays.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. A couple weeks ago, we had Scott Leach on as part of our clinic series and something he did for Lawrence First and Goal and was really impressed by the way he was thinking about strength and conditioning in offseason and especially some of the things he was talking about field work with your players. And so we're at the time of the year now, especially where if you have been restrained to the weight room because of the weather or, you know, lack of, of space in your building, whatever you might be doing. I mean, it is time to start thinking about what can we do to get these guys truly ready for the Friday night lights. And while it is important to build strength, and we're not going to have them bench pressing on a Friday night. So we got to we got to look at all the different things we're going to do. And we're going to talk about the importance of making all of this fun and really keeping kids in your program. It's easy to lose kids today for a number of reasons. But if you have something that they love coming to every day, that's certainly going to help your efforts. So joining me is the strength and conditioning coach at the University of Rhode Island, Scott Leach. Scott, great to have you here. Appreciate you having me. Scott, let's talk a little bit about your background. I know you shared some of this in the talk, but I think you're doing some great things today. Not necessarily things that other people around the country aren't doing, but it definitely is a focus for you. What are the things in your background, I guess, that have brought you to where you are today and the the people, the coaches, the ideas that have been influential in helping you to develop the things that you like to include in your programming today? Yeah, so uh, you know, I put on on my business card. I am a classic Rhode Island guy through and through. I'm lucky enough that I was born and raised here. Came back and got to be the head guy here. And uh, if you ever meet people from Rhode Island, right, the smallest state, but we have the biggest chip on our shoulder. So I am constantly out there trying to be the underdog that overachieves, and I'm trying to just provide the best experience we can for our student athletes. High school football in Rhode Island is not the biggest thing in the world. Obviously, it does not compare to Ohio, Florida, Texas, and all that, but it's still there. It's still a thing. Um, I didn't have a strength coach when I was in high school growing up. You know, I enjoyed my high school experience, but I'm always trying to, and this is the idea that I put in my head, and I, I ask our staff to do this as well, is be the coach that you wish you had growing up. You know, and I, I think we've all been through, uh, especially, I, I can't believe I'm saying it, and I'm getting a little bit older here, but us older coaches, like we went through those kind of dog day, two a day, three a day practices. I did that in high school. I did that in college as well. And I think we're learning now. I think we're having a better understanding of there's a, a better way to do things. I'm not saying that way was wrong. I think hard work is something that we don't do enough of these days. I think kids need to understand that. Expectations, accountability, those are things that kids these days struggle with. But there is a better way to do it, in my opinion. So I'm trying to share what I think is right. And I think a lot of people agree with me in terms of creating an environment that is fun, engaging, competitive, and it keeps kids in your program because the best athletes are the ones that you've been training for four to five years that haven't dropped out, that love what they're doing, that want to come back every day and do a little bit better the next time. So what do they do? They take care of themselves when they leave the weight room, when they leave the field. You know, they're the kids to start eating better and they start sleeping better because they love what they do and they want to continue to get better in your environment. So it's kind of a holistic thing, right? We want to create the best experience possible. And when we do that, our athletes get even better and that improves the experience. And then the whole thing just keeps improving from there. Definitely. I think you hit on something important there is that, you know, those guys in your program for five years, and I know having coached at the high school level and trying to bring in those 
you know, middle school kids into the off season program. I mean, they, they were the ones, you know, a little bit timid and, and sometimes they, you lose some, they wouldn't show up the next day. And I think when you look at training them holistically and maybe bringing in some things that initially might not be intimidating to a kid who's that age is certainly going to help them grow through your program. So just looking at that standpoint, if you were, again, to be that coach you wanted to be, thinking about those younger guys first, what kind of things are you would you want to be sure that you're implementing in your program that, again, builds on just who they are? They're athletes. We know that. We want to get them stronger. We're going to have to get them lifting weights. Um, maybe they haven't done that yet. So what kind of things would you do to get those guys started in a positive direction? Yeah, so this works with middle school to high school. And I'll, I'll tell you, it still works at the college level for us. Example I'll give you. So we have we have a couple on our roster, but we have Rhode Island football Gatorade Player of the Years that have committed that come to school at URI. But it's a situation, Rhode Island football, again, if you're the best player in the state, you are you are a big fish in a small pond. Now you come to college football, you play 1AA, you play in the CAA, which is arguably one of the most physical conferences in the country. And there's such a, a change and such a gap. And it doesn't matter if, if it's high school to college. Every There is a level of play that increases. And things that you start seeing is like those big fish are no longer big fish. So what's going to help them bridge the gap and become a better football player? For one of our you know high school player of the years, he's, a, he's an inside linebacker. The difference in how you track and close on an athlete at the college level is very different than when you're in high school. In high school, he could just run up and run by anybody. And this day, now he's the, the speed gap has caught up to him. He has to take better angles. He needs to have better vision. So should I just be doing sleds and squats and pushes, or should I find ways to incorporate tracking, creating and closing space, maybe block destruction and things like that? Things that Hopefully, if we do enough of that in the offseason, by the time they go to spring practice or by the time they go to preseason football, they're hopefully a little bit better at those. And, and I'm not an expert by any means. You know, I played football, but I'm not an expert at every position. But I can understand what creating and closing space is. I can talk about taking better angles of pursuit and things like that. So I can do a little bit of that stuff now and hopefully make it easier for our position coach when they take over. Because those are the things that expose you. It's not that he is slow. It's not that he's not explosive or an athlete because he is. But when you get put in a game situation, you now have to think quicker. You have to make decisions quicker and you have to take better angles. And those are all things. If you do not practice them, it doesn't matter how much you squat. It doesn't matter how fast you run. Those things take time to get better at. So we're always trying to find ways to incorporate competition to get the most out of our athletes, but also reactionary stuff tracking stuff, vision stuff, and creating and closing space. Those are very important things. Another, there's another clinic series segment we put up from Lawrence First and Goal, and a guy I think is one of the best in the business at teaching tackling, Vince Digitano, said there's one- Coach Diggs. Yeah, Coach Diggs. Yeah. thing he would work is like, you know, initially getting guys to understand how to close space, right? That's going to make a huge difference in, in the tackle. And What's neat about the things you do, and uh, make sure you guys follow Coach on uh, Twitter, X, however you like to refer to it these days, uh, just always show some good stuff on, on things they're doing on the field with these drills. And, you know, you can start to train these things right now without thinking about scheme, things that will apply later when you layer in that context and the things that matter to your X's and O's, but, but uh, skills 
like tracking, like vision, like closing those spaces worked right now. And he, he's always doing it in a competitive situation um, that are going to make a difference. So could you give us some examples of, of uh, some of those drills you like to utilize in these teaching these skills? Yeah. So, I mean, the way I organize our training too, we have, we have three days on the field. One day is a short sprint acceleration. One day is more of a top end speed, bigger spaces. And then one day is a change of direction. So it's got to feel lateral. It's got to feel like we're moving more than just a straight line. So I always have those in mind. And then I say, okay, what drills do I have that kind of meet those goals? So a drill like a push-up sprint chase race, depending on the distance, is going to probably be a short acceleration type drill. So we may start with say, hey, you're both in a push-up. On the whistle, you're both going to get up and race. You're trying to tag the guy in front of you. Then we say, all right, once we've done that, how can we layer it? How can we put more into it? So now it's maybe the back person can't move until the front person moves. So there's a reaction time element to it. Then we can add another. I posted this one not too long ago on Twitter, the Y chase drill. So now that front guy can also decide he can go left or go right. And one that gives that guy a chance to make a decision on full speed. Okay, I need to go fast. And when I get to this landmark, I'm going to plant and cut right or plant and cut left. I'm going to do a little hezzy step and then go. But they're thinking about these things at full speed. Before, it was just get up and run as fast as you can. Anyone can do that. Now it's can I run and can I also set this guy up behind me so that he doesn't you know, catch me when I make my break. So that's a simple way of like, let's layer this. Start with something simple, straightforward. Then you can add a little bit more of a reactive component, and then we can add a decision-making component as well. The other one, my go-to classic, is called one-on-one in the box. So two guys back-to-back on the whistle. You both go around a corner. Some of our football coaches, I've seen it called three blind mice, where you have two guys versus one offensive guy, and you try and vice the situation. Sometimes we just do one-on-one so that we can see, um, can the defender close space? Right? Can they keep this person in front of them? If we have sidelines, depending on the situation, can they use the sidelines appropriately to their advantage? Or are they giving up cutback angles and things like that? And then as an offensive player, they go around the cone and then they need to make a decision quickly based on who they're going against and say, what is the best tool in my toolbox that I have to score a touchdown right now? Is it to beat them with speed? Is it to set them up? decelerate and then reaccelerate? Is it to potentially try and hit a cutback? Is it the second or third time through? If I've beat them with speed twice, maybe I've set them up for a cutback on rep number three. So there are thoughts. And and again, there's certain things like if you know you're going against a certain guy and you've watched him in line and he struggles with a certain thing, he can't defend cutbacks. He over pursues. Now they're paying attention in line and saying, oh man, if I get that guy, I'm going to hit him with that. And then I'm going to come back this way. So For our guys, they love that because there's so much of that mental process going on that happens in football, right? And then we can talk about, hey, he set you up right there, but you needed to continue to close space. You stop moving your feet as a defender. Next thing you know, you're going to get scored on. So, and then we'll do that. We'll do that in a square. And then sometimes we'll set that up as like, I love setting it up as like a bubble screen or an alley screen and then have, you know, your inside linebacker has to run out and we'll do the opposite. We'll take a corner and they have to come in. So a bunch of different ways you can set that up. But again, I'm not an expert. I'm not a football coach, but I'm put them in situations that kind of look like football. It's close enough. We're always trying to, to ride that line of, you know, it's the off season. There's no footballs out there. We're doing speed drills. But 
again, it should feel like football a little bit. And I'll tell you, we get better effort. Our kids go really hard on these sprints because they, again, they love to compete and they eat this stuff up. Do you get a bad rep every once in a while? Sure, right? Somebody somebody gets just absolutely shooken out of their ankles. It happens once in a while. But I think we get enough good, high-quality reps in that it makes up for it. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas State champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com demo and mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. I've got a few follow-ups and and some of the things you just said there. One, you did mention some a little bit more scheme specific with you know something like a bubble or a tunnel screen or or something mm-hmm. like that. So I'm sure you're looking, maybe even communicating with the coaches on what are some of the more difficult types of things that you know require that athleticism. Those things, especially you know, before we got to talking, I said uh, a, a lot of what you do is train what happens after that arrow runs out, right? We draw that arrow on the page, but there's always a lot of stuff that happens after it. And we work hard on, all right, how do you run this line? How do you handle everything on this line? And there's certainly a lot of vision and decision in that. But after that line runs out, you got to go be a football player. And I know that's some of the things you're developing too. So scheme specific or concept specific, what kinds of things do you feel are very difficult that you know, you can get better at that. You can help your team get better at, even though you're not teaching the schemes around them. Yeah. So, you know, I, I lean on our coaches here and, and I'm always putting drills in front of them and saying, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? How could I make this drill a little bit more applicable to us in our situation? So an example being our inside linebackers don't need to get out in space as much, right? They need to shuffle fall and potentially fill gaps. So when we do things with them, it's, you know, can we set up a drill where they have to shoot the correct gap? So we've, you know, I've seen the classic, right? Turn around and you have to sprint and you have, let's say you have two or three other teammates and they block three of the four exits and you have to sprint through the last exit. So an example like that, and then we may put a ball carrier on the other side and you have to, you know, trace and follow the ball carriers. So, but our outside linebackers need to get out in space. So yeah, they're going to be in that bubble screen, that tunnel screen drill, just as much as the DBs and the wide receivers. I'm always thinking about what stances and starts can our guys come out of. So, you know, our tight ends, we had we actually had this issue last year. We had a wide receiver. They put him in the H back a lot and uh, started getting groin issues because he was doing so much out of his wide receiver stance. And then they moved him to this like hybrid H back role and everything was out of a two point square stance that he was so used to the other way that he was actually developing some groin issues because he was like, I, I am not used to getting down in this three point stance and all that. And uh, uh, so it's like, can we make sure that we're doing things that look like our position in terms of stances and starts 
and putting them in the right drills. Another example is I posted a drill the other day. I, I stole it from Michael Gregg, who's a strength coach down at Harding University. Um, they just won a national championship. They're a triple option team. And the way he set the drill up was both guys had to go on this little bit of an arc to start it off. And it looked like ABACs and triple option because they're a triple option school. And I'm like, is that, it's got to be kind of the reason why. Now, for those guys in triple option, it makes sense, right? Kind of arc this thing or, you know, it's a, it's a toss kind of steps. But then for our offensive line, I looked at it and said, hey, I know you guys skip pull, right? So let's do a skip pull to start. And then it's a, it's a race and chase from there. So for them, adding a way to incorporate something that they do at practice, something they do, they should be working on, and we can incorporate it into our drills, makes that drill a little bit better. Could I do it just by saying, hey, turn and run and go? For sure. But just a little bit of that makes it feel a little bit more applicable for them. The other thing I would say, too, is, is for your bigs, don't get me wrong. I love doing one-on-one -on -one in the box with them because they get to unleash their creativity that they don't really have a lot of, but they think they do. If you worked with any lineman, they all think that they should be ball carriers. But we do a lot more of the contact prep stuff. I have some talks lined up here real soon about that. And we try and do contact prep, try and get them in situations where they're hands-on, where they have to actually move bodies, and then they may have to move bodies and track something if they're a lineman, right? Track the second-level defender. If he goes left or right, one of you has to branch off and go get him. And then for our D lineman as well, right? Contact prep and then also hands. And, uh, you know, I'm not a martial artist by any means, but incorporating some hand swipes and things like that for them. Again, more, more, more practice of that to bridge that gap from the end of the season to the start of the next. Those are things they can always work on. The big man was one I was going to ask you about. The other thing was something you said there working on positions they're going to be coming from right and we could go back let's go back to like when i was in high school <laughs> very long time ago you know you had the weight room and you might get out and run some sprints in the spring and then you know football season hit and you really hadn't worked any of the skills it's seven on seven i don't even think was a, a big thing back then right like now all of a sudden you're putting these guys in different positions that the body, the way you know, you're talking about, starts to become conditioned for that. So I imagine there's a lot of injury prevention because that you're you're starting to train these things way earlier than we used to. Like you know, and I, and I went to high school in the in the 1980s. But you know that that does make a difference for sure. So um, with contact prep and things like that, we talked about when you put a helmet on for the first time after taking some time off, right? You're sore for a couple of days, putting the helmet back on and, and moving around with it. So what did we start doing? We started doing more neck training, right? So that our neck wouldn't be as sore when we put a helmet on. What still happens? Your neck is still sore from carrying that helmet around. For It, it does not matter. But if you put yourself in situations, um, same thing for our offensive linemen. Like if you don't move a body, you can push as many sleds as you want. You can lift as many weights as you want. But if you don't move bodies, something that's, that's, going to fight you to move back and work some different types of muscles that uh, a sled can't mimic. Don't get me wrong. I love the five man, but honestly, once you get that thing rolling, it's really not that hard. It's different than a, a body sitting in the, in the a gap that doesn't want to move. And you actually actually strain and drive and get some leverage on that thing. There's a different type of muscle, different type of pattern that works. We all have those kids that can bench, you know, well, Maybe not all of us, but some of us have those kids that can bench 400 and they can move the sled for days, but then they can't move anybody out of their gap. So 
things like this contact prep, one, it, it reduces the amount of, of soreness they're going to experience by the time they do go to preseason camp. They're a little bit more conditioned for the task that they need to do, which is move bodies. But also they're hopefully getting a little bit better at some of those skills or at least getting a little bit more comfortable in that feeling. That's where I think for, for high school athletes and, and middle school athletes, you know, if you didn't play a lot, some of this contact stuff is really good to kind of get over that fear and get over that and teach some of those leverages. You know, it, it's me versus the wrestling coaches and they're all join the wrestling team. And, and don't get me wrong, I wrestled in high school, but let's say you don't want to do that. You should still work on some of the stuff in the offseason. So let's dig into that a little bit for a good example here. The strain and drive, obviously a huge thing for offensive, defensive linemen, winning the gap, whatever it might be. What kinds of things are you working, you know, right now to, again, help prepare them for those kinds of things that they're going to do when they hit the field in August, September? Yeah. So we use a variety of different contact prep drills. So you can start, and and the way I layer this out, you can do floor exercises, which is your your bear crawls, your crab crawls, your tumbling and rolling, which I think is underrated. You know, think about how many times a body hits the ground or somebody falls, and we're always impressed when we see one of those linemen like stumble, fall, and they do a somersault and they get right back up. It's like as silly as it is, those things need to get incorporated and worked on. And and you know, I like to think that doing some of that early on, it's going to pay dividends down the road. So we go from that to partner stuff. So it might be bear hold partner pushes. It might be overhooks and underhooks. It might be we tend to, as we get closer to the season, we'll do more long arm or or one arm type stuff. We'll do lateral stuff. So it's a, a almost like a double team block where it's lateral push to move. I'm trying to, I got a list over here on the, on the side. And then from there, so the, our big guys are usually either chest to chest, hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder, a little bit more body on body. And then for our skill guys, not saying they can't do these things, right? Because I want my wide receivers to be able to block on the perimeter. But we'll do more things that also involve wrists and hands. So it might be I grab one wrist, you grab one wrist, and we're both trying to touch the other guy or poke the other guy. We've done the, the same one where it's each guy grabs a wrist. There might be a tennis ball in between the two of them, and they're both fighting to grab that tennis ball. So things that involve the wrists and shoulders, again, for the skill guys, a little bit more away from each other makes sense. But also, I think it develops some of that shoulder strength and some of that resiliency, you could say, that you're, you know, don't get me wrong, I love bench press, but that's not enough. They need to do some some task and football-specific things to get stronger. I don't want to leave it out of the mix, and I'm sure your uh, special teams guy has a lot of things he'd like to see worked. You know, those big space plays, guys running around having – Having to find a body to close the space on and block or avoid a block or make the tackles, et cetera. A lot happens there. What kinds of things, I guess, are really incorporated to help start to develop those kinds of skills? And, and probably, I mean, as coaches are watching it, they could see, yeah, this guy might be able to be pretty good for us on teams. Yeah, so I, I love special teams and I love, love watching special teams practice because a lot of those drills I watch them and I go all right we can easily add that into what we do for our off season and summer training so one of our favorite drills is guy runs down like it's punt so he gets down there he runs we'll set up a hoop he gets to choose I go one way or the other around the hoop and as they go around the hoop we have a punt returner on the other side they're allowed to leave as that guy reaches the hoop so you need to be able to run fast to be on special teams. That's step number one. Number two, you need to be able to control that and slow down 
because no one cares how fast you run if you run right by the return man. So you need to be able to slow down and control that speed. And then three, you need to be able to create close space. So we have the drill. We'll have guys rip down their full speed, and then they need to slow down and stop because this return man's either going to go left or right, and we're trying to not get beat by the return. Now, for our return man, this is a very lateral drill. It gives them an opportunity to be creative, but at the same time, if you're the punt return man, there's not a lot of options for you, right? It's a left, it's a right, and you got to get out of there and try and get positive yards. So we'll do some drills like that, and then uh, sometimes we'll set up drills where they're running down, and we'll set up a guy with a shield or or hold something, and they turn. So now you have to kind of react off this guy and change your path accordingly, things like that. How quick can you make decisions at full speed? Because special teams is probably the fastest you'll go in a game, unless you're on a breakaway touchdown or something like that. Usually on a breakaway, you start slowing down anyways. So special teams is usually the fastest. So those decisions need to be made at full speed. You know, you can't do special teams. You can walk through special teams. Or go full speed through special teams. I don't think you can do 75% on special teams. It's the decisions need to be made quickly. And if you don't train that, that's when you start seeing errors. You see the same guys get blocked over and over on special teams because they can't make those decisions fast enough. I know you laid out how the week works for you in three days. And one of these specifically being related to the field work. I think it's important to discuss volume here, especially if you're just getting started with this and how this ramps up to the start of camp. So what kind of considerations should coaches be thinking about in terms of the volume that they're going to put on their players here as they get going? Yeah, so I, you know, I'm a, a fan of Tony Holler. I think the less is more approach is definitely better than what the other coaches do of too much. I would rather underdo it and have them feeling fresh and uh you know the thing i always say i'd rather underdo it and have our guys chomping at the bits on friday night or saturday night than overcook them and then have to spend friday and saturday trying to massage them trying to love them up and trying to get them you know ready to go on saturday i'd rather have them foaming at the mouth so less is more but that being said going into august and preseason camp you need to work them up to a certain amount of volume so you can't be scared of doing some work and i think when you do drills like these these competitive drills these reactive drills these one-on-one Kids will sit there all day and do them. Like they love to go against each other one on one. So, what I try and do is, is we used uh, we had some GPS units a couple of years ago. We looked at some of the data, and you know, there's a lot of walking. And as much as coaches don't want to admit it, there's a lot of walking and standing around at practice. I'm not necessarily focused on that. I like to think that between all of our workouts, between some of the extra seven on seven that our guys do and things like that, that they're gonna get enough of the slow stuff. Let's make sure that we do as much high speed stuff that we need to in a week. So we looked at the numbers and and in a week, the most we ever really worked up to during the season was about 2000 yards of high speed sprinting. And I could be wrong on that. I, I have to go back and look at my charts, but we use that number and then we kind of work our way backwards from there, usually jumping about 10% a week. So how do I set that up? Cause it's not perfect, right? If you don't have GPS units, like I don't currently have GPS units. So a lot of high schools out there, you don't have those either. Take a look at your drill. You set it up and say, okay, roughly how much does somebody run? So if we do a 10 by 10 box and we're doing the 1v1 drill, they're going to go around the cone, come back in. So that's about 10 to 12 yards right there. Hopefully they score. So we're saying that's about 15 yards of sprinting in that drill if they do it correctly. Now, if we know that's 15 and we know we want to get to a certain number, we just add it up from there. So maybe we want to do six reps that day. So 
three on offense, three on defense. And I'm just tallying all these up as well. So we might have that as one station. We might be doing some chain resistant sprints or some sort of teaching drill. So there's going to be some acceleration, high speed volume added in there. And then sometimes in the summer, I do still supplement with conditioning, but it's very high intensity. It's seven to 10 second sprints, usually about 25 to 30 seconds rest in between, just to make sure that we're getting to that number. I believe, I want to say it was 2000 was our, our kind of average number across all positions of high speed yardage we want to get to. If we hit those numbers, I feel really confident that they're going to be able to handle the first couple of days of practice. Awesome. That's Those are some great guidelines there. Um, as we finish up here, Coach, I know you have some resources out there for coaches. I wanted to be sure that we shared those here on the podcast. Uh, where where can they see some of your stuff? Where can they learn more beyond following you on Twitter? Yeah, so Twitter. Instagram is probably a little bit more just the highlights. Like I love to show off our guys and show off some of the training stuff we do. Twitter, I try and educate a little bit more. But on both of those, on those pages, I have the, you know, I call the Gridiron Warrior Program. But it's basically it's that that three-day layout. And you can use it in the offseason. You can use it in the summer. But what does that look like from not just uh, the the competitive stuff that we talked about, but what does your acceleration look like? How does top speed layer into this? How does jump training pair up with what you do for speed training? Because I think you need to do the right jumps on the right days to pair those things up really well. And then also, what does our conditioning look like? Because we talked a little bit about contact prep. We talked about these competitive drills. How does all of that fit in? So it's three days of speed work, and we typically do that before our lifting. So three days of speed and then two days of conditioning, and it's a 12-week program, and it's all laid out, sets and reps, everything's on there. I think there's over 100 videos on there as well, and it's me. And if you don't want to hear my voice, then don't get it, but it's me showing you a drill and then talking about, you know, how do we set it up? What are some coaching points? What are we trying to look for? What are we telling the kids? So all these drills, you'll have a sense of how do I set it? How do I run it? And hopefully it gives you some ideas and some creativity of, I'm not saying drop everything you're doing and, and do this instead, but maybe find some drills that fit into what you do already, what you do really well. And hopefully you can make it a little bit better. The other piece I have is, is a lot of coaches have been asking about the contact prep stuff in particular. So that'll be coming out here in the near future of you know, how do you take somebody who's never done contact prep before? Like, I'm not immediately going to throw them in and say, all right, you guys are sumo wrestling in the ring. Let's get after it. You know, how do we build up to some of the more advanced contact prep stuff? What does that look like? What are the benefits, especially for coaches that have never done it before, never seen it before? Why would you want to include that into your summer training or off-season training? So that's coming down the pipeline too, but that, again, will be on social media. So it's all out there. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I am not the fastest guy at answering, but I promise you at some point I will answer your message. Just uh, be patient. And if I don't answer in three days, just like, just keep bugging me. Eventually I'll answer. I promise. We'll put coach coach's links in show notes. Make sure you check those things out. Coach, it was great to get you here on the podcast. I really enjoyed that clinic segment and uh, I'm, I'm happy that you came here to talk to us more. So thank you for your time and, Good luck to you guys in 2024. Heck yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Here are winning edge takeaways and ideas for implementation. One, incorporate a mix of strength and conditioning with field workouts. Coach Leach emphasizes the importance of combining strength training with field work activities to prepare players for game situations. You can focus on drills that improve speed, agility, reaction time, and decision making 
to enhance player performance on the field. Two, emphasize competition and fun in training. Creating a competitive and engaging environment in training sessions can help keep players motivated and committed to the program. Coach Leach pointed out that reps and output from players in competitive drills is much better than drills not involving competition. And three, gradually increase volume and intensity. When structuring training programs, gradually increase volume and intensity to prepare players for the demands of the upcoming season. Monitoring high-speed sprinting yards, implementing contact prep drills, and balancing speed work with conditioning can help players build the necessary skills and fitness levels while reducing the risk of injuries. Be sure to follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com. Sign up for our weekly tip sheet, which runs down the best ideas shared each week. And follow us on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski. 